And here we go. You're listening to Rumination Thursday on this August the 6th in the year of our Lord 2020. It's a law and gospel program. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and my co-host is Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing really well. How's the weather out your way? Uh, It's sunny, but it's about 59, 60 degrees right now. That's pretty good for August. That's for sure. You're out there in Springfield, Illinois. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. And today we're going to be continuing our series that we got from a television program I was watching, Kitchen Nightmares, where a chef would go into a restaurant that was failing and show all the things that caused it to fail, bad food, bad service, uh, a terrible atmosphere, arguments among the owners. It's really quite interesting. I've seen about 20 of them. And it got me thinking that we could talk about worship nightmares. A worship nightmare occurs because God is not at all happy with what's happening in the worship service. This is our fifth week doing this, Wes. The first week, we examined hymns, and you pointed out some hymns by gay people that give the impression that God okays their lifestyle. Then we took a look at parables and how many parables are understood as to what we are to be doing rather than what Jesus is doing. Last week we looked at the confession of sins, and we looked at uh, the Roman Catholic, of course, and praying to Mary, etc., penance, and all the things that make the confession of sins a nightmare to God. Today, we're going to be examining the Lord's Supper. So what have you got to say uh, about that item? Uh Where to begin? I almost call it Lord's Supper substitutes, you know, uh, and not just only substitute when we look at Lord's Supper, but baptism, uh, preaching, who we have. I mean, we, it's all over the place uh, of substitutions. And uh, we covered Lord's Supper a while back about the uh, pandemic and and uh, whether we should do it online or not. And since then, I've run across articles that, that talk about, uh, especially from the Reformed area, uh, where you can substitute all kinds of things for the elements of the Lord's Supper. Uh, in other words, the bread and the wine. Yes, uh, in fact, I remember when I was on Vicarage, there was a college, and they used hot dog buns and Coca-Cola to do the Lord's Supper because they thought of it as a fellowship meal, did not consider it a sacrament at all. Right, and that uh, comes from clear, actually comes back historically all the way to the time of, of a guy called Swingley and Luther when they met at Marburg, and Swingley said that uh, the bread and the wine merely are symbolic, representational. And I thought it was very critical uh, 
the the lecture that you did on Walter's Law and Gospel yesterday on uh, the 16th evening lecture spoke so much to what's going on in in our world today. Yes, in fact, at the Marburg Colloquy in 1529, Zwingli agreed with Martin Luther, saying that faith doesn't come to anyone except through previous preaching, and the Word creates and works faith, and in that holy baptism is a sacrament by which man is regenerated. But then uh, less than a half a year later, he changed his mind, denied all of what he had said, and basically he indicates that the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, they are not necessary for the Holy Spirit to create faith. Uh, neither is uh, the Word of God. He says, baptism is worthless because the Holy Spirit does not require a vehicle for his conveyance. And let me read from the Confessions of the Lutheran Church. Uh, this is small called Articles, Article 3. God does not want to deal with us in any other way than through the spoken word and the sacraments. Whatever is praised as from the Spirit without the word and the sacraments is the devil himself. So Zwingli really is, by Walther, considered the grandfather of the Reformed churches, and we're talking about Baptists, Presbyterian, Methodists, who believe that you need to feel in your heart that you are saved. And therefore, that's far more important than having the assurance of salvation by means of these external means, namely word and sacrament. And what one of the things we talk about is the means of grace. Can you explain uh, to our listening audience what is meant by the means of grace? Well, the means of grace is, is uh, vehicles, so to speak, of, of how God brings, Christ brings his grace to us. And we, we consider that the word of God, baptism, Lord's Supper, in other words, word and sacrament. Another way to look at, at grace is is the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense. This is how God chooses to bring us his grace. Yes. There's no doubt we all believe, and by the way, the Reformed believed this also, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And we, we need to make a real big distinction that they're talking about the cross, they're talking about justification. What they neglect to do is talk about the means by which we receive the benefits of Christ's cross. They believe that you receive them through faith, just in the sense of believing. And once your heart believes then you're saved. So the sacrament, for example, of the Lord's Supper, it really just signifies 
what Jesus did. There's no sacramental quality at all about that. It's not a means of grace. And the question I always like to talk about in confirmation, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he ended up giving us the forgiveness of sins and, of course, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does God effect that? All you need to do is listen to Peter's sermon at Pentecost when the people say, you know, oh, we killed the Messiah. Well, what are we able to do? And he doesn't tell them anything that they do, but something done to them. Be baptized as a passive, and you will receive the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why our confession says that only through these external means does God come to us. Uh, for example, in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing. Now, what are they talking about? What's the hearing that they're talking about there? Well, hearing the words of Christ. Yes. And specifically, Christ's words were both law and gospel. But what specific words does this refer to? Well, only justification comes only through the word, and the word is apprehended by faith, and and, uh, and the faith justifies. It's not the law. It's the gospel. Yeah, that's really, really important. Uh, That's why Wednesdays we're having a lot of fun doing Walther's things, because law and gospel are two different doctrines in the Bible. They don't contradict one another, but it becomes very clear that telling a person what they have to do in order to be saved is law preaching. Telling them what Christ has done is gospel preaching. Have you seen those ads on television where some churches say, if you want to be a Christian, just pray this prayer? Yes, uh, I'm laughing about it because I listened to your program yesterday, and you had you you had wonderfully outlined that in that lecture of Walter's Law and Gospel, and I just happened to turn on the TV and guess what was there? The uh, invite Christ into your prayer, invite Christ into your heart, and pray this pray this prayer with us. Yes. Part of the problem there is they're talking to unbelievers. How can you right. tell an unbeliever to invite Christ into his heart? That would be like, um, you know, think of some group, uh, the Ku Klux Klan or the Nazis, and somebody says, well, if you would like to be a member, then apply and ask if you can become a member. Well, someone who is against those two groups would never want to do that. And what the reform don't understand is you can't tell an unbeliever to do something like a prayer, invite Christ into their heart, because they're unbelievers, which means they hate Christ. And the reason they hate Christ, it's kind of interesting. Um, One of the Beatles sang a song called Imagine. 
and it starts off, imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell. Really interesting that for them, heaven and hell divide people. So if you had asked him to invite Christ into his heart, he would refuse to do that because Jesus talks about the judgment day when some will go to heaven, some will go to hell. Nobody invites Jesus into their heart until he's already in the heart. And yet we have all these Reformed who say that the sacraments are symbols. Uh, For example, baptism. They will not baptize someone who hasn't already come to faith. And so they look at baptism the way you and I look at confirmation. Is is confirmation a sacrament? No, it is if you're Roman Catholic, but it isn't... uh... Uh, otherwise, uh, it's a rite, R-I-T-E, which yes. confirms the, the, the rite of baptism. And what we do in confirmation, we teach either adults or young people about the wonderful teachings of the gospel. And when they get to the point where they, too, agree with that, then they make a vow in front of the confirmation uh, congregation confirming that faith. It's not a sacrament because they came to faith through hearing the Word of God, and many of them were already believers when they came to confirmation because they had been baptized, but they had a kind of a, a Sunday school, or remember what Paul says, desire the Word of God like a newborn babe uh, desires the milk of the Word. Right. Yeah, and I know of a number, many of our Lutheran churches, where the the elders of the congregation want to make sure that that that, that is taught to the children about the gospel and the and the and coming to faith in the, in the gospel, and that they understand what that is. It's great to learn all this knowledge about the Bible and our doctrine of the Lutheran Church, but they want to make sure that they got that gospel message and the, and the trust of the, and, and what Christ has done on the cross for us. That really comes clear with Luther's small catechism. You, right. you can't read like the meanings of the creed, the Apostles' Creed, without hearing Jesus throughout it all. And that's the point that we need to make, that people come to faith by hearing the Word of God, or the Word of God being applied to them. That's why many of the Reformed, like many Baptists, will not baptize infants, because infants can't say the prayer inviting Christ into their hearts. And since that's the way a person is saved, well, they won't baptize them. And they forget that baptism is a form of adoption. For example, no infant who gets adopted has any part in writing or signing or saying something before the adoption. It's a decision made by potential parents and a judge. And in the same way, baptism is a decision made 
by parents who take their children to baptism and God who baptizes them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and that brings us, well, in a sense, full circle back to what you discussed earlier about Peter and Acts 2 when they asked, what should we do? And he says, be baptized. He didn't say, invite Christ into your heart. No. There's nothing that they have to do as a work on their part. It's always the work of Christ. Romans 1.16, the gospel is a power of God for everyone who believes. And remember, Paul says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can someone preach to them unless they are sent? And so this is really the way that God works in transferring the benefits of the cross to individuals through means of preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Right. And it just comes around to what I was saying earlier that, you know, when they went with the communion and the reform to symbolical or substitutes, we see this all around us today where we can substitute the grace of God, but not use the means by which word and sacrament by by which he has chosen to, to deal with us. Or even in this uh, substitution of preachers that we allow anyone to become a preacher instead of uh, uh, what God has designed through, through his word. Yes. Yeah, I, I use the analogy, it's like, taking someone to eat at a restaurant, and when you get there, you don't order the food. And the people are saying, aren't we here to eat? And you tell them, no, you just want them to believe in their heart that they are filled. (laughs) And you don't give them any food. Well, that's what happens with their understanding of the Lord's Supper. No, I I agree. I thought that was good. It's just... uh... It, it, it just boggles the mind when you, when you, I mean, from from a Lutheran perspective, that uh, we've run all these substitutes in there and, and imitations. Because uh, after you finished your lecture yesterday, like I said, a, a well-known uh, Reformed theologian got up and and in a in an ad, very sincere uh, in in his meaning, but he wanted to invite Christ. Yep. To, to the hearts of the believer, or the unbeliever, and it's like, no. <laughs> they no. take that passage from Romans. If you uh, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. So they think that that is comments from Paul as to how to convert an unbeliever, when in reality these are comments from Paul giving the assurance to those who already believe that they are saved because they believe those two items. It's not a method of saving unbelievers. It is an assurance for believers. And they t- change it into law as to what a unbeliever is to do in order to be saved. Saved. And hence, uh, that small called uh, quotation that you had, God does not want to deal with us in any other ways than through 
word and the spoken word in the sacraments. Yes. Now, one wonders, Zwingli was the grandfather of the reform, but Calvin uh, really started using logic and reason to try and convince, and he was able to convince the French and the English to follow the reform point of view, not so much the Germans. The Germans stayed with the Lutheran understanding. But when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, how do the Calvinists and the reform get around that clear statement that when you receive the bread and the wine, you're receiving the body and blood? It has to do with the attributes of Jesus. Do you recall what they do there? No, I'm not, I'm not tracking with you there. Yeah, okay. What I'm talking about is they believe that Jesus ascended into heaven in right. his human uh, and divine uh, natures. And therefore, he is not on earth in his human nature. That's up in heaven. So when you receive the Lord's Supper, it is through faith in your heart that you're remembering what he has done and you're always looking to heaven in order to receive the benefits of the Lord's Supper. They believe that, yes, uh, there's bread and wine, but they don't believe that in, with, and under the bread and wine are the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. Well, now, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but aren't they taking out the power of the word, that the word connected with the bread and the wine makes the sacrament? Yeah, they're taking out the idea that the Holy Spirit only works through external means, which mm -hmm. we call the means of grace. And that is, of course, preaching, baptism, Lord's Supper, and the confessions even will refer to absolution as a means of grace. What's absolution? Well, that's where uh, we as pastors talk talk to them that we stand in the stead and forgive the sins of many. Stand in the stead of Christ and forgive the sins. Yes. We have no power to forgive sins, but we have the authority to speak those words because Christ is speaking them through us. It's Christ doing the forgiving, not the individual pastor. You know, I once remarked at a Bible study that they, they, uh, uh, at the service with gusto confessed their sins. You know, you, you know, it's like one loud voice. And a, a hand went up and back there, and a lady said, that's because we know what's coming next, which is the absolution. Yes. People question, how can Lutherans confess their sins and be joyous about it? And as you pointed out, it's because of what's going to happen afterwards. Okay, thanks so much, Wes. Next week, we'll continue. We've already talked about a subject we might be dealing with on Worship Nightmares tomorrow, Open Mic Friday, which means if you have a question about today, 
or anything, send me an email. Tom Baker, God bless. Please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.